You're listening to We're Talking About Practice podcast episode three. Today we have Coach Bob Bigelow here, an expert in kids basketball. So anywhere between first grade to eighth grade, you coach that grade level. I'm telling you, it's really hard because it requires a different kind of skill set to coach kids. You know, for an adult, it's equivalent to holding a really, really heavy ball. Uh, if you you don't even have the strength to throw the ball to the basket, how do you train? So Coach Bob Bigelow is an expert in that. And really excited to share what he has today. So if you're into kids coaching, listen in. Let's get started. We just talk about practice. We sitting here, I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. I mean, it, listen, we're talking about practice. Hey, Coach Keith here. Welcome to We're Talking About Practice podcast. If this is the first time listening in, thanks for coming. This podcast is produced every Thursday for your enjoyment. Please visit our website, www.coachbase.com. Come back often. Feel free to subscribe to our RSS feed or iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter, CoachBase Pro, and Facebook at CoachBase. You can get all these drills from Coach Bobbiglow inside our Practice Planner app. Go download it in the App Store. Now let's get... Okay, hi coaches. Today I'm honored to have Coach Bigelow here. He's an expert in coaching for grassroots basketball, so... Hi, Coach Bigelow. Hello, uh, Keith. Nice to see you. Nice from, to see uh, you. 8,000 8, miles away or 9,000, wherever you might be. Yes. So, yeah, you know, just go ahead and uh, introduce yourself. Well, here I am in my uh, suburban Boston home, uh, and it is the day after Thanksgiving for all you American viewers. Um, it is November uh, 27th, and I am a former NBA player who played in the late 70s against uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Julius Irving and some of those guys. And somewhere about 20 or 25 years ago, when my own uh, sons were uh, very young and growing up, uh, probably around the age of your son, I started uh, getting interested in how youth and kids play sports, not just basketball, which is my background. But I decided to do a little research in the late 80s and early 90s. And having discovered that the whole tenor of kids' sports had changed since I was a kid in the 1960s, I decided to uh, take a mission and go out to people all over the country and later all over the world and try to balance their perspective when it comes to children in sports. And of course, since my background is basketball, the whole arena of youth basketball was never far from my task and my mission. So that's what I ended up uh, doing a lot of uh, over the course of the last 25 years, uh, because I am a uh, child of the 60s, as I said, who never played youth basketball. In fact, I never played any organized basketball until I was a freshman here in American high school, which would be about 14 years old, So, which was not uncommon when I grew up. We had relatively few youth basketball programs in America at that time. So as I tell people, I was a baseball player, I was a street hockey player, I was a touch football player, I did a lot of sports as kids, but they were almost all unorganized. It was other kids and myself playing on playgrounds and sandlots and having a blast, and we didn't know otherwise. And then uh, around the late 80s and the early 90s, when my own children were born, I began to notice uh, quite a difference in uh, their children, uh, their childhood, and my childhood. 
So as I uh, wrap up this uh, quick 90 seconds, what I have tried to do in the last 25 years is give the games back to the children, as I like to say. I have a book out there. You may or may not know about this, Keith. It's called Just Let the Kids Play. I wrote it in 2001 with a couple of uh, very good writers helping me out. And that's what I've been basically trying to do with the children for the last 25 years is, if not give them the childhood that I had in sports, at least to make it more of theirs rather than so much adult uh, orientation and adult domination. And my success has been, to be very honest, mixed. <laughs> there are a lot of adults that don't want to give this up, <laughs> even though they're the same adults that grew up the way I did. So it's kind of uh, interesting how it's changed over the last uh, 20, 30, 40 years. I'll leave you to your next question. Awesome. So I'm going to tell the audience of how I found you. Yes. Uh, so basically I was coaching a fourth grade girls team. And I started doing stuff that was very high level uh, for my... Like, you know, like seventh grade? <laughs> I love yeah. it. <laughs> and then I completely lost them. And then I realized I don't have anything in my, in my you know, library suitable for that age. And on the spot, I was stuck. I couldn't think of anything. So I, you know, I went home and I searched and I found your video. And you gave adults this really, really heavy green ball. And then that's when I thought, okay, this coach knows what he's doing. So tell us about, you know... Well, the, the, green, the, the green ball, which is nine pounds, and where you are about four kilograms, uh, the green ball came to me in uh, one of the few moments of inspiration that I've had in the last uh, 40 years. I was driving around, probably to a talk somewhere here in America, and I came up with the idea of how can I convince adults how difficult it is for kids to not only handle a ball or to pick one up, but actually shoot one uh, from a rim that's uh, way above their heads. So uh, I picked up the nine-pound ball from a physical education catalog, and I've been using it ever since, probably about 12 or 15 years now. I open up a clinic that I do for adults with the nine-pound ball, and I make them handle it, and I make them try to make some layups. And basically what I have tried to convince adults of for years, if you're ever in a gymnasium, Keith, and I'm sure you have, where the fixed baskets are up by the ceiling because they have to lift them up for something else going on in the gym, I tell adults all the time, if you really want to know what an 8 or 9 or 10-year-old shooting a regular basketball at a 10-foot hoop is, then uh, take uh, one of those baskets that's way up there, 22, 23, 25 feet in the ceiling, and start shooting at it. And notice how your form will be uh, quite compromised as you try to loft that ball up there. So the 9-pound ball serves the same function. But I've been telling adults for years, I don't know why so many of our programs at 8, 9, or 10 years old have a 10-foot basket. They should never be that tall. They should be 8 feet at the tallest. But uh, it's been one of my uh, very uh, tough challenges here in America where so many of the programs at that age do have regulation-sized hoops. As I tell people, Dwight Howard is probably 6'11 and weighs 270 pounds. LeBron James is about 6'7, weighs 250. And they shoot at the same height basket that so many of our fourth graders and 10-year-olds do in this country. It, just, it makes no sense at all. <laughs> but that's what happens. So for all the, all the youth coaches out there, what are the couple like major mistakes? So the, the height of the rim, too heavy of a ball, they're not using small size balls, anything else? Yeah, I, I, I think the height of the rim is a bigger problem. A lot of the youth programs in the, in the world do use smaller balls. So they've adapted that. But the, the one that really drives me nuts, even as much as the height of the rims, that probably drives me more nuts than any, are the, the number of players on the court who are playing. 
Now, Keith, I don't know what your background is in other sports. Uh, we have a, a sport here, baseball. You're familiar with that. Um, uh, in the brand name youth baseball in this country, although there are several brand names now, is called Little League. Little League Baseball, which is all around the world. And if you're familiar with late August, we have a Little League World Series in Pennsylvania where we invite eight domestic teams from the U.S. and eight uh, international teams to play in the uh, Little League World Series for 10 days in late August. Well, if you are familiar with the dimensions of baseball, um, 90 feet are the base pass here for older folks, including Major League Baseball. The pitching distance where they throw is about 60 feet. Uh, the Little League distance is smaller. It was developed 75 years ago by the guy who founded Little League. So they have a 60 foot, so two-thirds of the base pass of the olders, and about two-thirds, they have about a 40, 45 foot pitching distance. Now these are very much good dimensions, and they were developed 75 years ago. And it follows what I call the child development and physical education uh, rule of thumb, which is you never adapt the kids to the game. You always adapt the game to the kids, which is what 8-foot baskets are, not 10-foot baskets. You're adapting uh, to their specific age group and their uh, special lack of strength or whatever that is. Youth soccer, which I'm sure is a sport you have in uh, China and Hong Kong, uh, oftentimes is played most of the time, below age 11 years old, with small-sided games. They don't play 11 versus 11 on fields that are 110 by 70 yards. They will play 4 versus 4 or 6 versus 6 on smaller fields, so kids get more touches. I have been trying to drum into people's brains for years, why are we playing 5 on 5 in youth basketball? Why aren't we playing 3 on 3? Which, by the way, was a suggestion given to me 25 years ago by a youth soccer guy who had a doctorate in child development. And I had never thought of it in that uh, way before. All of us played three-on-three three as kids. When you had one basket and six kids, you played three-on-three. Three. But I never thought of it in the context of younger kids. But if you think about it, it is so much a better game because there are fewer kids to mess up the game, uh, they each get a better chance to share the ball, and you could put two half-court games on a full court and have 12 kids playing at once with uh, two balls. And you can do the math, Keith, you, you know, just more and more touches. But trying to get people out of the five-on-five five full court, that's as hard as trying to get them off 10-foot hoops. <laughs> they, they just don't get it because what do they see on TV? What do they see in their local high schools? They see five-on-five five full court, and they don't understand why we could make some changes and actually adapt it to the kids. So, yep, I'm still working on this stuff, Keith, and I probably will be until I'm about 90 years old. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So, one small point. Can you point the camera a little lower? Yeah, that's I'm better. sorry. Okay, that's good. Okay, that's so, fine. Yeah, so, you're saying... Keeping the nose up, I keep doing this. Sorry to keep <laughs> rattling it. I'm trying to hold it on my leg. So, so you're saying um, maximize touches by, you know, using more small-sided games, everyone has a ball, yep. that kind of theory. The, soc the soccer people in this world have known this for 40, 60 years. Okay, in America, we finally adapted about 30, 35 years ago. We have really not been a youth soccer playing country for more than 40 years. But once the kids started playing at six years old and seven year old, 11 versus 11 on huge fields, then somebody got the idea that this is not right because the kids touch the ball once an hour when they're on the field. So, so I've used some of this method to help change some youth programs here in America. But it's uh, it's very tough. It's like the ten foot hoop. A lot of people uh, don't want to change. So one of this biggest problem I have personal question with coaching is that yep. the the girls don't have enough strength to shoot it. Like you know how everyone keeps it really high, but the proper way they can't shoot it that high. They, they 
they keep shooting from the hip. How do we teach them to shoot if they don't have the strength? Well, okay. Well, one of the things that I've suggested for years, which goes against the grain of a lot of what we teach, is two-handed shooting. <laughs> is Which, by the way, was done in this country probably until about 1955, 60 years ago. And the reason two-hand shooting works with younger kids is they get an extra shoulder, an extra upper arm, and an extra lower arm to propel the ball. And, uh, Keith, they can keep it in front of their head when they shoot. What happens, as you know, with younger kids, when the uh, basket's too far away or too high or both, is they end up launching the ball from their hip. And that is one of the hardest uh, skills to break once they get up to an age where they do have the strength and coordination to lift it. Now, one of the problems with your release point, and I'm going to hold you with my left hand and I'm going to see if you can shoot, is your release point um, can vary even amongst uh, high-level pros. In fact, Stephen Curry does not have a really high release point on his shot, as opposed to other people in the NBA. What he really has is a quick release, as we all know. So whether the release point is here or here or another two inches higher, to me, has never been bothersome. I'm more interested in footwork and what's going on below the waist than I am what's going on here. But if we're getting this down to younger kids who are 10, 11, 9 years old, then I don't worry about release points at all. I'm just trying to move the ball towards the front of their bodies. Because if the basket's too high, the basket's too far, then you get, if you can see what I'm doing here, you're getting the push and the heave. Um, as a friend of mine uh, called it years ago, uh, a heave thrown in the general direction of the basket. Or another friend of mine from Connecticut, I loved it, called them anvil-tossing jockeys. And you've seen your fair share if you've been coaching fourth graders. Um, you, know, you know what an anvil is. It's very heavy. And they fire it from their hip. And it's hilarious and kind of cute. But it doesn't help with the shooting. But you know, as long as we play younger and younger basketball in this world, we're going to have kids with messed up mechanics. And I don't worry about it now as much as I did even 20 years ago because I know they're going to grow out of it. And a lot of kids make the adjustments as they get up to 11, 12, 13 years old. They finally get big enough. And by the way, your theory about girls being weaker than boys, actually until 12 and a half, uh, girls are taller and heavier than boys at all the age groups. So they're really no less, uh, they're really not, you know, some are weaker than others. But uh, a lot of boys are pretty small, too, at these ages. So they're going to end up heaving the ball, too. Awesome. So then on that point, so a lot of the issues I had was strength-related, right? You yes. don't believe in single-handed passes for that young of an age. Uh, well, I, I don't like single-handed passes, even at the high school level here with the 14 to 18-year-olds, because if you're getting closely guarded and you're throwing a one-hand pass and that uh, defender's arm gets in your way at the last moment, you have no way to withdraw that pass. Now, let's face it, if you've got uh, the hands of LeBron James or some really big hands or uh, you know Tim Duncan, you can take that pass. I'm sorry, as I'm uh, making you can take that ball and just leave the ball in your hand. So I am a big fan of two-hand passing all the way through high school, uh, through 18 years old, because the kids can't withdraw the pass if the defensive hand comes there at the last moment. So two hands on every pass. Yeah. And by the way, even with two hands, a lot of these kids don't have a whole lot of control over the ball, as you well know. So, yes, and big, so big fan of that. You touched a little bit on footwork, and I, I saw in your videos, you progressed from uh, just really basic things. I mean... Okay, it's basic before for someone that's been doing a lot of high school stuff is you forget to how, how fundamental things are. Like you start with just running and stopping and running and then just pivoting without the ball. And then you progress to having a ball to and pivot 
So, like, what kind of, you know, footwork, what, what, what is footwork? Okay, I, I think it's important, Keith, that your audience uh, gets a little background of this and what I've studied over the last 25 years. This is a very difficult sport to play for the very simple reason we have two rules that really run against the grain when it comes to kids learning basketball. Number one is traveling, and number two is double dribbling. The children at these ages do not have the bodies, they don't have the skills, they don't have the coordination to really run all that fast and control the ball while they're dribbling. And that, to me, is what separates kids from teenagers from adults, is by the time they get into upper teenage years, they now have better coordination and their ability to control their running speed along with catching the ball and dribbling the ball and passing the ball while they're on the run. As you well know, having coached fourth grade girls, you know that whole thing goes right out the window with those kids. As soon as you end up moving them at a faster speed and ask them to pass it to each other or dribble, then uh, the balls have to go out the window, go out the door. It's going to hit people in the face. It's going to hit people in the legs. So to me, the biggest challenge at these ages is teaching them how to slow down and come under control. And that's why you, when you saw it in the film, in the video, why you so, saw so much uh, direction, paid attention to the ability to slow down and stop and be under control and pivot. And as I tell people all the time, this is not something that's going to be accomplished in two weeks. This may be something that's accomplished in five or six years, uh, but a lot of people don't have that kind of patience. And uh, one of the things I often talk to programs about is their officiating. If you're planning on officiating this game like you would officiate a game five years older, forget it. That <laughs> game is going to take it's going to take three hours to play, and it's going to be very frustrating for everybody involved. So your officials have to be very cognizant of what advantage and disadvantage is. So if that kid catches the ball and takes two innocuous steps or three innocuous steps but doesn't go anywhere, don't call the travel. Now, if the kid takes six steps or eight steps with the ball, then they're probably gaining an advantage, and that's when you'll have to blow the whistle. But it is the toughest thing to officiate. I've, I've refereed hundreds of games at this level, and the real uh, special sauce is how much can you let go without uh, harming or hurting the potential and what the kids will know about violations, and the second piece of that being you know, keeping the game moving. Because if you end up blowing the whistle for all the right reasons, you know, to technical uh, violations and everything, you will have a three-hour game. And no one's going to sit through one of those. Awesome. Uh, Coach, I need the camera a little lower. Okay, yeah, sorry. Awesome. I'm, no, it's fine. Oh, so I, I know you, you, you hold clinics. And then, uh, so this is my question. So at high school level, you can practice plan to the T, to the minute, and have all these really complicated things. But youth is little hard. Like, how do you practice plan? What goes in your head? What are your favorite drills that always work at your clinic? Okay. Or your training? When, when you practice plan for younger kids, um, uh, and I learned this from the soccer guys, this is not my idea, but I adapted from soccer, is I always look at it in thirds. So let's say you have an hour to practice. So 20 minutes would be spent in the first 20 minutes, every kid with the ball. You have to have uh, the same amount of balls that the, the kids have. You never have one less ball than kid. Because that's a kid without a ball. So I, and again, I stole that from the soccer people. You know, if you've ever seen a soccer practice there, there's always enough balls for every kid on the team. So every kid needs a ball. And then that's where you do the ball handling, the dribbling, the passing off the wall, some of the stuff if you've uh, seen my videos. Do a lot of that individual stuff the first 20 minutes. The next 20 minutes is what I call small-sided games, which is what soccer taught me. 
Instead of playing five on five, you play two on two or three on three. And you let the kids move, you let them cut, you tell the defense to back off a bit, so you let the offense get ahead a bit just so they can pass and make passes. And then the last 20 minutes of the practice, if you're playing five on five, which as you already know I hate, at third and fourth grade, I'd rather have three on three, then you have to have a five on five scrimmage controlled by the coach to let the kids know this is what you're doing with 10 kids in one ball. Uh, so I always break up the practice basically three ways. So every kid with the ball, first 20 minutes, uh, part-time, not time, uh, small-sided games, the next 20 minutes, and then full-sided five-on-five, if that's what indeed you're playing, which I hate, as you know. So, And then within those elements, uh, generally my rule of thumb is, unless something's working really well, is never go more than five minutes with any one segment of that. Move on. Keep going. And if you need some explanation, and some of these things might need a two-minute explanation, just make sure the kids are doing a lot of running before the explanation. So they tire a bit, and then they may slow down and listen to you for those two minutes. But uh, children at the elementary school ages tend to crash and burn, elementary school being kindergarten to fifth grade in this country, which would be about 5 to 11 years old. So you got to keep them active. you got to keep them moving. Plenty of water, uh, plenty of movement, and relatively little lecturing and talking, which I've gotten better at over the last 25 years of my life because I like to lecture and talk. But uh, sometimes it's, it's uh, less talking and more moving with the kids because that's how they discover how to play is by doing and making mistakes and doing again. So those, that's my basic rule of thumb for youth practices. You know, high school practices, I've run those. I've run college practices. They'd be a little different. But remember, your span of attention on the kids you're coaching is a lot better when they're 14, 16, 18, and 20 than when they're 10, as you know. Their span of attention is about uh, five seconds, maybe 10 at that age. So so one of the problems I had is that, so let's say I coach a uh, varsity boys team, and then obviously they're okay. all competitive. You don't really need to yep. manage them at all, but... You know, the girls' team, they're like, ah, you know, today I don't feel like we listening to you or, like, not putting in effort at all. How do I deal with that? Or I just let that slide. Yeah, well, you know, part of the recognition of a coach is uh, knowing who you're coaching. And obviously, if you're coaching 16 to 18-year-old boys, it's a bit different than coaching 10-year-old girls. <laughs> so, But anybody who would be coaching these kids in a classroom would also know this. Of course, you know, you're, you're teaching 17-year-olds math a lot different than you're teaching 10-year-old math. So you've got to, you know, you've got to go with the raw material you're dealing with. In, in your case, 10-year-old, 9-year, 10-year-old girls. So what you've got to do is keep a smile on your face, keep it fun, keep it moving, and making sure they're touching the ball all the time. So relatively little downtime. Obviously, you've got to give them some so they can catch a breath. But at the same time, you want action-packed practices that last an hour. And when they go home, they're feeling good about themselves. And they go home and tell mom, geez, we were really moving. We were really doing this. I made a shot. I made a dribble. And that didn't, I want to come back next time. That's the thing. Obviously, at the high school level, you know, you've got different uh, criteria. And you've got different missions and different goals. So, But it, it's hard. Uh, you know, too many people in our country, and I'm sure it happens elsewhere, uh, do the coaching, you know, the one-size-fits-all. Well, I'm going to coach the 10-year-olds the same way I coach the 15-year-olds, and it doesn't work. You've got to be able to adjust. So, Keith, you've uh, adjusted. You've had to. <laughs> so so uh, a big challenge that I had is, you know, high school is easy to find new material to incorporate because there's a wealth of stuff online that uh, you can look for. But actually, I found it really, really hard to look for your stuff. You know, and I don't know how you came up with all these cool drills. Like, 
you thought about the drill where you're on their knees and dribbling because you know yes. maybe they get too tired just in that position at their age. Like, how do you get so creative? Did you steal this from somebody, or did you? Well, kinda... uh, it, it, you know, part of it's borrowed, Keith. And part <laughs> of it's you know, came. It's like the nine-pound ball. I mean, that was sort of a, a source of inspiration that came up 15, 20 years ago. But I'll be honest, the fellow that I ran into 25 years ago, who's brilliant, the uh, child uh, development PhD, who's a soccer guy, when I started talking to him, I started looking at the sport of soccer. And I am uh, one of the biggest thieves you've ever known when it comes to adapting uh, drills and activities from other sports. I've taken stuff from Frisbee. I've taken stuff from soccer. I've taken stuff from ice hockey, not a sport that's probably over where you are that much. So I'm always looking outside the box. I mean, I've been a basketball player and a basketball coach for over 40 years. So I, you know, I know just about everybody in the darn game. And I've got, you know, I've got, you know, a million drills of which 999,000 I've forgotten. But what I did with the kids is the first rule of thumb that I always use is this is not a basketball thing. This is a child development thing. What is better for the child's child development? Not basically this is a drill that, you know, people do at 15 years old and 20 years old. So a lot of the stuff like dribbling while on your knee and that sort of thing, that was purely child development because obviously a child or me on my knees is going to be down at the height of a child who is a third grader or an eight-year-old. But basically what I'm doing is I'm helping the adults understand that these children have uh, different uh, sets of capabilities. And you've got to meet them where they live, not to have some sort of drill that your high school coach gave you 20 years ago. And that's one of the problems. One of the things I've said for years, Keith, is way too many people watch ESPN when it comes to try to learn basketball. Well, it's all nice and good. We can watch two major college uh, powerhouse teams play each other on ESPN, but there's nothing there that's going to help you as a fourth grade coach, coach fourth graders. So that's what I'm constantly telling the coaches, watch it for entertainment, but don't watch it to learn something that's going to help you. You'd much rather talk to your local physical education, uh, physical education teacher or a child development expert. And that's what I've done. I got away from talking to basketball people because so many don't understand the needs of third graders and 10-year-olds and 12-year-olds. They're good at what they do at the upper levels, but they don't necessarily have any sort of clue about how to teach fifth graders. You know, they all say, well, teach fundamentals. Well, there's too many people in this world that think a fundamental is a one-three-one half-court defense. <laughs> that ain't a that, That's not a fundamental. But the people find out they can win with it if they play at 12 years old. So that's the big challenge: is you got to agree on what fundamentals are first. And to me, a fundamental is, is sitting on your knees or on your belly or whatever, dribbling a ball uh, two inches from the ground. That helps kids understand the progressions. So, my final question is: How okay. come you are? You know, you, with your background, you can coach at any level. How come you, you are interested in this age level in particular? Okay. Well, Keith, you hit me where I live. Uh, <laughs> I've often told people for the last 30 years here in America, we've had the most unbelievable run-up of money in basketball. You know, if you think what Michael Jordan on the heels of Magic uh, Johnson and Larry Bird, what kind of money and value he brought to the game of basketball. And today it's just unbelievable. I often tell people, geez, I never, uh, I never hitched onto that train uh, 30 years ago, got into college coaching, etc. I have a very good friend who did coach in college. He played with me in college when I played uh, uh, over 40 years ago. And he was teasing me about 25 or 30 years ago, Bob, why don't you coach in college? You'd be terrific. You've got so much to offer and yada, yada, yada. 
And by that time, I was moving into the youth, and I had seen, um, I guess I had seen a loophole in the game of basketball because youth basketball was growing very quickly, but you didn't have enough people that understood the kids and how to teach it and how to coach it. So instead of going into the coaching world at high school or college or pro, I decided to take a different tack, and I decided to do something on my own and try to figure it out, and what you've seen is probably 25 good years and 30 good years of work with the videos and the books and the stuff that I've done on YouTube, and so I just decided to take a different professional address. Now, from a family situation, I'm my, you know, my boy, the one who answered the phone here, he's 28 years old, so 25 years ago he was three, and I have a 23-year-old, and 25 years ago he wasn't even around so I decided to stay my wife is a longtime college swimming coach she's been doing this for 40 years uh, she coaches at a local university Tufts where by the way we have kids from Hong Kong and China who go to Tufts and uh, so she's been there so uh, it was part of family situation too if I'd been a college coach I probably would have been moving and uh, moving up the ladder so to speak so it was a quality of life thing as much as it was uh, a, 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 you know a, a void that I thought needed filling in the world of basketball. So that's a long-winded answer, which most of my answers are long-winded uh, to your uh, question. So it's been, it's been a good last 25 or 30 years. So I probably didn't make the kind of money that I would have made, say, college coaching, but it's been fun trying to uh, change things and uh, get in the heads of folks and get them to understand the game from the kid's standpoint, not from our 40, 50, 60-year-old adult standpoint, which is my biggest challenge. So to all the coaches out there, I can I personally watched DVDs by Coach Bigelow, and I can say they they are amazing. They're huge paradigm shifter because you realize. Well, I, I I hope so. They've been out about five or six years now, and I I'm I'm glad you like them. Uh, if uh, the coaches out there want to go, they can go to breakthroughbasketball.com. Uh, Joe and Jeff Hafner, uh, good buddies, who, by the way, I've never met. I've talked to them on the phone many times. It's a Midwestern U.S. Uh, basketball products website. They've been around about 10 years. And uh, Joe Hafner contacted me about seven or eight years ago because he was very uh, interested in my world of youth sports and what I was doing. And uh, we decided to uh, put together these three DVDs. And we've talked about adding uh, one of these days. Maybe I'll add another one somewhere along the way. But uh, it is pretty much what I call profound common sense is what I do. <laughs> And uh, I'm, tr I'm just trying to drum it into folks that uh, three-year-olds are different than six-year-olds, who are different than nine-year-olds, who are different than 15-year-olds. And along the way, you've got to treat them as such, as you have so poignantly pointed out with your fourth grade girls who are different than your 11th grade boys. So, but uh, you're learning all the time, which is good, Keith. It's, this is good for you. And eventually you'll be a wise adult soul like me, or maybe just, <laughs> maybe just burned out or something. <laughs> Yeah, so I know I know Coach Bigelow also runs clinics in the U.S. I highly recommend attending those and getting his book as well. So hey, thank you so much, Coach. As I tell people all the time, please invite me. Um, by the way, if you want to contact me, as I tell people all the time, you can go to my website, which is www.bob-bigelow.com, or my uh, my email address, which is bob-bigelow at comcast.net, if they want to uh, connect with me. And would love to hear from anybody, even in China. I've already been to Australia, I've been to New Zealand, I've been to Turkey, so I've done, my, I've done some of this stuff uh, outside the U.S. too, which is always fun. Although I'm still trying to learn the uh, one word of Turkish. <laughs> All right, that's it then. Thank you very much.